All right, well, thank you again for adjusting uh, another location. So, Lord willing, this will be the only time that we're in this location as we wait for the other auditorium to be finished. And Lord willing, uh, sometime in December, we'll be back uh, to our normal spot. But next week, we'll be back in that uh, conference room uh, down the way. So, uh, also, thanks to everybody that did all the transferring of uh, stuff today. I'm sure extra hands after service would be more than welcome if uh, you have time to help uh, relocate things back over there. Um, but it is, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit intimidated in terms of preaching uh, on this topic. I've, I was trying to go through my, my years of, of pastoring and preaching. I don't recall ever preaching a sermon on prayer. Uh, I, I remember doing one through the book of Acts as they prayed and kind of that being a topic of of the passage, it was then a topic, but I don't recall any time my, me personally uh, preaching on prayer. And as we uh, actually put together the series uh, at, at an elder retreat a couple months ago, uh, I remember saying, uh, you know, maybe I should sit this whole series out and I would, I would do well just sitting under the instruction. Uh, prayer has, has always been a struggle for me. I, I recall uh, years ago in seminary, just having this, these dreams of one day, you know, by the time I'm at this place in my ministry, I would be a pastor that is just really strong in prayer. And uh, I would always have the dream like, one day it's going to happen. And even when we were doing the series, I thought, you know what, by the time the series starts, I'm going to finally get it. Uh, but uh, I'm, I feel like I just keep fighting. Now, thankfully, I do feel like it's baby step after baby step, which is, it's about direction, right? So I am thankful for that. I do feel like I've picked up a few things along the way the last couple months. So I'm, I'm grateful for that and ho hopefully it sticks. Uh, but I want you to know I am not one uh, speaking uh, as any sort of an expert uh, up here this morning. Uh, I can name a, a, a few of you here uh, that would do much better at giving this uh, sermon. Now next week is on the hesitations of prayer, of why we don't pray. Uh, that one I I think I'll do quite well, and uh, that might be a really long sermon, uh, so just be prepared for that. But this week is the power of prayer, uh, the power of prayer. It's going to be uh, fairly quite simple. Uh, I just want to meditate a little bit on the claim of the passage, uh, which I think you see right in the middle of the passage, uh, chapter uh, 5 or 16b. Uh, the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. I think that's his main claim of the passage. And so I just want to meditate on that together uh, and then uh, think about what, how, how, how might we hear that. So I think that's his main claim. Uh, he applies it in the beginning of the, of the passage. Uh, this is what we should do with it. He illustrates it uh, before the statement and after the statement with Elijah and someone being healed. Uh, but the very foundational claim is that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So let's just meditate on that a little bit. I just want to take it bit by bit and think about it. Uh, so first of all, uh, the think just as I do this, if you're trying to like memorize a passage just the way I do it, I try to like emphasize bit by bit. So I might say, the the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer, you know, in our 21st century uh, mind and workings, we would probably change that if we could. 
we'd probably exchange the prayer of a righteous person has great power with the plans of a righteous person has great power. I mean, just think about when we have something as a church, a major obstacle we're facing or something we want to do, uh, how many hours and hours we will spend on getting good strategy, good plans, great mission statements, great documents that say everything, and we pray if there's time. Yeah? I mean, many of us are at fault of that. I certainly am. That's not what the passage says. There's nothing wrong with plans. There's nothing wrong with strategy. That's all good, so don't overhear what I'm saying on that. That is good things. Right? But unless the Lord builds his house, the builders build in vain. It's the prayer of the righteous person that has great power. Now, or we might say we might want to replace that with the education of a righteous person has great power. Right? We uphold the people that are smart. And those are, the, those are the people with great power. And James says, no, 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 no. It's the prayer of a righteous person that has power. Or uh, we might just like to eliminate that phrase altogether and just say the righteous person has great power as he is working. That's not what James's point is. He's trying to highlight, in fact, all through the passage, every single verse in this passage has, uh, it has the word for prayer. This is clearly his point. Prayer has great power. The prayer of a righteous person. Uh, here, here's the illustration that I came up with as I've been meditating on this week. Maybe you could do better, but we'll go with this one for today. So I was thinking about uh, how weak we actually are on ourselves, right? So I was thinking about a black bear. A black bear is, uh, get, gets up to 800 pounds, and they can come charging at you at 30 miles an hour. Right, so now you picture yourself out in the wilderness with a black bear charging at you, 800 pounds coming at you, ready for lunch. All of us at that moment are going to feel pretty weak, right? Uh, no matter how many workouts you have done in the past week, that's not going to help you. But if you have the right kind of rifle, you're still a weak person. You don't become powerful, but your rifle is. Right? Because your rifle, you can actually shoot and you can, you can stop a black bear if you have the right rifle dead on the spot. That's the illustration I was thinking about. This is not about the righteous person having power. Not at all. It's about a, a weapon that God's given to the righteous person to actually fight the battles in this fallen world. It's prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Secondly, you can hear it like this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as, as it is working. I mean, think of this illustration with the bear running at you. I mean, a bear, 800 pounds, 30, 30 miles an hour, has great destructive force. But it cannot compare with a rifle. Right? The, the situations we face in this fallen world are too big for us. We need not think that we need to have some great intellect or certain skills to overcome the challenges of life. God has given us a weapon that has great power, the text says. 
actually, right? That's the way I've been thinking about it this week as I think about the situations, the, the mountains of life, right, that I think, I don't know what to do here. It's to grab the rifle of prayer and, I guess a rifle sounds, a little, that sounds cartoonish. Bam! Whatever. <laughs> Thirdly, uh, I, you can hear it this way. Uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is the trickiest part of the actual verse here of how this, how this phrase should be translated, how it fits in. Um, one option is that uh, as it is working refers to as it's being utilized, as it's put into action. For example, uh, I, you know, over the years I've memorized a lot of verses about uh, what God promises to do through his word, right? Like meditating on the word makes you like a tree planted by streams of water from Psalm 1 or uh, Romans 15:4, that the word of God will produce hope in God's people. Uh, or Psalm 19, that it enlightens the eyes, or it makes the, uh, the simple uh, wise, right? Or it rejoices the heart. These are the promises of God's word. But none of us would say, okay, here's, here's the plan. If you really want a heart to rejoice, or you want to have hope, or you want to be like a tree planted by streams of water, get a Bible and put it on your shelf and look at it every day. Because the Bible itself just has power. Well, that, that's, that's not the point. The point is you have to actually open it and read it, right? That is, that is where the, how the power is actually going to be transferred and how God's going to transform you through his word in your heart, right? Uh, so this would be saying, if this is the right way, uh, it would be the idea that the prayer of a righteous man has great power as long as it's unleashed. You, you have to use it. You have to use your weapon. Now, nobody would say, uh, that it's a smart idea if, you're, if you have this 800-pound bear running at you and you just think about your rifle. You say, yeah, well, I have a weapon. I wouldn't come at me. That's not going to help you. And how foolish we would be if we were standing there and we know we have the rifle. We know the rifle will help. We know the rifle will actually kill the bear, but we do nothing. We just hold it. And how foolish have I been in my years of walking with the Lord, to so slowly go to the weapon that God has said has great power. Instead, I just hold it. Instead, I talk about it. I mean, if we think about it, the non-praying Christian makes no sense. Any more sense that it would make a man holding a rifle with a bear charging at him and he does nothing. It is nonsensical when we don't put prayer into action. And I am most guilty of that. The last piece, as you can meditate on the statement, is that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now notice then, uh, this invitation or this promise about prayer is not just going out to everybody. A lot of people in the world will pray. Doesn't mean the prayers are going to have any power. 
I mean, you just turn on the nightly news after, you know, they're interviewing somebody that was at some natural disaster, and they'll say, well, our prayers are with you. And maybe, maybe after they turn off the cameras, they do pray. But if they're not the righteous person, they, have, they don't have any power. The text says the prayer of a righteous person has great power. So who is he referring to? Who is the righteous person? Is he referring to a moral rightness? Well, throughout scriptures, yes. That, that is what someone righteous refers to. So how, how do we become righteous? Well, again, we, we have to step back a little bit to try to think through this. Uh, on, one, on one level, for certain, uh, a righteous person would be one who does not have a righteousness of their own, but a righteousness given to them. Right? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right? We, we, uh, it, it was Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one. Right? He who knew no sin became sin, so that we would become the righteousness of God. Is those who have been washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ, who have actually been given a righteousness not of our own, that we are actually now the righteous people, so that we actually stand before God, positionally righteous for all who confess faith in Christ. And yet, remember, we're in the book of James that he's not willing to stop there. James is the one that says, faith without works is dead, right? So James, I don't think James would be happy with just saying, oh, just simply believing in Jesus, that makes you the righteous, and that's all I'm talking about. There is also a condition. So there's a positional righteousness, but there's also a conditional righteousness, one that is actually pursuing a righteous living, not perfection, but direction, no doubt, but there is an actual movement of the heart, one that's hobbling, you might say, hobbling in faith and repentance and faith. But there is a moral righteousness. Now, if you think about First uh, Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter, as he's commanding uh, the family and the, the wives, how they, how they should respond to the husband and how the husband should respond to the wife, uh, Peter actually tells the husbands in that passage uh, that they must live with their wife uh, in an understanding way, and he ends that statement by saying, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Isn't that interesting? According to Peter's mind, if a husband is not living with his wife in an understanding way, it's almost as if there will be a, a bronze ceiling. The prayers won't get through. Because Peter says, no, 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 it's not just simply saying you're righteous because, ooh, because you follow Jesus, but actually living it out. It's living your righteousness if you actually want your prayers to go to God and God to give ear to them. So I think James would be very comfortable saying, no, the, the prayer of a righteous person, I'm talking with someone that strives to walk with Jesus, someone that's striving to be maturing in the gospel, not perfect, but one who's striving, baby steps, is, is movement, is righteous. Now, the amazing thing with this statement, I find, uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power, is just how simple it is. It's, it's, it's this amazing invitation for ordinary people doing something pretty ordinary just making requests to the eternal, all-powerful God. 
Notice that he doesn't say it's the theologically pristine prayer that has great power. You know, it's only when you have really a really nice lead-in where you come, oh, Father in heaven, Holy One, the triune God, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God, the Father who loves us, who sent your Son to die for us, to bring us close to you, that we might bring these petitions before you. And by the power of the Spirit, you, you empower us now to do these things. Please listen to our prayers. Now, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That is, that, that is true. Although it's a theologically true statement. But there's a danger when we think, oh, it's only when we do that. That's what has power. No, no. no and notice how he doesn't say it's the long prayers. Those what has, that's what has power. Almost as if when you're shooting a bear, you got to keep your hand on the trigger for a long time. And you just hold it. No, it can be a, what uh, I think Sam calls it a breath prayer. Maybe you got that from Paul Miller. I, I don't, a breath prayer, just quick breath. I love in Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, he talks about sitting in the, uh, a meeting where he's just, he's just like, all I could pray was just grace, Jesus, grace. Give me grace. I need grace. I mean, how simple is that? But all, all it's saying is the prayer of a righteous person has great power, not the long extended prayer. Uh, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite passages about prayer, uh, actually, I, partially because I struggle with prayer, uh, it comes out of uh, Genesis when Abraham sends, sends his servant to go get a wife for Isaac, you remember? Uh, so if you remember, the servant shows up in the land where Abraham uh, is from, and he starts praying as he's coming to the well, because he's like, where am I supposed to find a girl, <laughs> a woman for, for Isaac? And so he, he comes up with this plan. He's like, okay, Lord, like, when I come to this well, if a woman comes and I ask her to give me some water from her jar, uh, let the woman that comes uh, not only take the water from her jar and give me some, but then also say, oh, here, let me give you, get you some water for your animals too. And so this is his plan. Like, Lord, do this for me, please, so I know where the woman is. And there's a statement in there as the servant is telling Rebecca's dad the story because this unfolds this way, he says, yeah, I was, I, was, I was asking the Lord this as I was coming to the well, that this is how it would unfold. And then he says, and before the words, I could finish my words in my heart, here comes Rebecca. He says, I didn't even finish my prayer. I mean, talk about a short prayer. I, didn't, I got halfway through it. And the answer was there. This, this happened uh, just, just the other, uh, on Friday. Uh, I, was, I was away from the home. Danica calls, and she says, the heater's not working. And I thought, yeah, I, th I thought that, because my, my head was freezing when I woke up. So I, th I thought, man. I th <laughs> she was like, the heater's not working. I was like, okay, you know, uh, well, we can, you know, let's, okay, let, I don't know what to do right now. I'm not at the house. And so she says, pray. And I said, yeah, you know, that's really good. I've been, be and so then I'm like, yeah, I've been reading George Mueller's biography. It's really good. He's talking about prayer. And then I'm like, well, I should just pray, right? And so by the time I finish the text, uh, I, I hit send, and then she sends it back. She says, it's art, like, it's working. Praise God, you know? And I thought I didn't even say a word. 
You know, what, what do I do with that? Now, we're cynical people, right? We're gonna say, well, obviously it's just chance or maybe it just worked. I mean, how quick we are to write that off because we didn't pray good or whatever. It's just the very simple prayers. It doesn't say, notice, uh, the really like, kind of like spiritual sounding prayer. Again, there's nothing wrong with sounding spiritual as we pray, like having a nice tone of voice or something like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's okay to come in your messy self. Notice that it doesn't say it's the prayers when they're prayed earnestly on, their, on your knees. These are just prayers. You can say them anywhere. You could be doing it right now. Notice that it doesn't say the prayer of the very gifted righteous person. It's like, oh, yeah, I get it. It's the prayers that, like, if John Piper prays, of course those are powerful. But I'm just me. Yeah, Paul Washer prayers, of course. I mean, he's a gifted man. Or Corey Ten Boom, of course. No, it doesn't say that. Just leaves it vague. The prayer of a righteous person striving to walk with God. No, it, notice it doesn't say it's, it's the prayers of the very influential people in the church. Their prayers are the ones that are heard. Or it doesn't say it's the prayers of the seasoned righteous person. You know, after you've walked with God for 30 years, you've kind of proved yourself. Like, those are the prayers that God's really willing to listen to. No. You could have become one of God's righteous people last week or yesterday or just the past hour. It's got nothing to do with longevity. Notice how it doesn't say it's the prayers of the one when they turn 18. Like, now you can vote. Now God will listen to your prayers. Or 25. Now you can rent a car. Now you can pray. No. The six-year-old who's Truly born again, who prays, God hears it. And in the text says, their prayer, prayer has great power. Isn't that, that not amazing? This is a promise, an invitation to ordinary people, which we are. That means you can do this wherever you are, whenever. You can do this at the, at the red light on 27th and Oklahoma today. You can do this as you're changing your child's diaper tomorrow morning or in the middle of the night. You can do this as you're walking to the coffee, uh, the coffee place at work tomorrow. I mean, this is, this is just ordinary stuff. And yet God says those prayers have great power. And it's actually through those prayers that God gets a lot of work done in the world. It's those very prayers that, that might change a marriage. It's those very prayers that how God might change a heart that's gone from anxious to one that's restful or bitter, that is gentle and forgiven or forgiving. It's those very prayers that might end human trafficking. It's those very prayers that might bring the conversion of your classmate or your child or your mother or your friend. Those prayers. Ordinary times, the text says, has great power. This is wonderful. 
That means untrained people who pray are a mighty weapon in the hand of the Lord. Stronger than the most powerful people in the world. I mean, think about Acts 12. The Apostle Peter, uh, or it starts out with Herod. Uh, Herod, one of the most, most uh, powerful pers- persons in the world at the time, right? He has James, the brother of John, killed. Just in one sentence. Herod realizes, like, oh, the people like this, so I'm going to do, do some more of this. Imprisons Peter. Says he sends four, four groups of soldiers to go get little old Peter, untrained Peter fishermen. Puts him in prison, has uh, him chained to these two guards. And what, what is the church doing? You remember what happens there? The church is praying. Untrained people. They didn't go to some theological school. Many of them probably poor, not powerful in the community, off in a room praying for Peter. And what happens? Peter, chained in prison with an iron door on the outside, walks out. Why? Because untrained people who are righteous because of the blood of Christ, striving to walk in faith, who pray, are a mighty happy. A mighty weapon in the hand of the Lord. And I want my heart to believe that. I mean, it's a glorious, uh, it's a glorious invitation. A glorious invitation as we think about transition as a people. Because this, this passage then says we have all the resources we need to make such a transition. And it's not monetary resources. By the grace of God, we do have some good monetary resources in the bank. That, that's, that's a great blessing. It's, it's not uh, educational, uh, theologically trained people uh, that are resources, although in God's kindness, he's, he's given us some of those, and that's a, that's a great blessing as well. That's not, that's not the weapon. The weapon is people who are willing to pray and say, you know what, I believe that God says our prayers are powerful and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to move. And that's glorious. Let's be a people that do that and ask God to change us. Now, notice what he then does. He actually gives a illust- couple of illustrations. Of, let me, it's like, let me show you what I mean. How is prayer powerful? The first one is actually before this statement uh, in verse 15. Uh, when it says, "In the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James here indicating that, that at times when we pray, people are actually healed. Now, I don't think we have to run from that because we're afraid of uh, you know, assuming that it means every time. I don't think he means any, just because you pray, someone who's sick will be made uh, well. Uh, the Apostle Paul didn't seem to believe that in his final letter. He says, uh, he's telling Timothy that he, that he left uh, Trophimus in Miletus sick. I mean, if Paul assumed just simply praying heals everybody, he would have just prayed for Trophimus and brought him with him. So that, that's not what the text is getting at. Uh, also, in the passage right before it, he talks about being patient through suffering doesn't simply just pray and your suffering goes away. So that's, that's not the point, but he's giving an illustration that at times when we pray, people actually are healed physically. 
And there's, there's probably some stories among us where you've seen that. And the second illustration, of course, uh, is, is in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, what an amazing picture if you actually just stop and try to think through. This would be a story to just try to tell, tell to your kids about what happened. So you remember Elijah, this is from 1 Kings 17. Elijah is a prophet, uh, primarily to the northern kingdom of Israel at the time. Uh, Ahab is the king. Ahab uh, is repeatedly said to be the worst king that the Israel had had up until that point. Uh, he marries this woman called Jezebel, who is the daughter of a neighboring king of the Sidonians. Uh, and that even stirred up even more rebellion against the Lord in Ahab. And he builds these uh, temples to Baal and worships false gods, builds the Asheroth. And he just goes after everything but the Lord. And here comes Elijah the prophet. Now, Elijah the prophet, as he prays, he's not just praying just like, hey, like, it would be a good idea for it to not rain. Like, it's just some idea that he came up with. This is right out of Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, the blessings and the cursings of the law, that if the people of God walk away from God, they disobey God, God would make the sky like bronze, and you would have no crops, all in hopes that it would stir up repentance towards God. And so that's what I understand uh, Elijah to be doing, is God, bring the curse upon the people so that they turn in repentance. And so the text here tells us that Elijah then, he prays, and it actually stopped raining. And for three, three and a half years, it only rained because he prayed again. Now, what James does here is, I think, helpful, because notice how he describes Elijah. He was a man with a nature like you. So if he walked in the room right now, I mean, he probably dressed a little bit different, you wouldn't notice anything different. You sit down and have coffee with him, eat with him. You step on his toe, it's going to hurt. You know, he doesn't get sleep, he's probably a little cranky. Remember, Elijah was the prophet that went from the highs and the, and the lows. I mean, he's, he's calling out, God, God, kill me now. He was a man just like us. There was nothing significant about Elijah or different. He wasn't like part human. He was just like us, James says. There was nothing different. And he believed this claim that the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it's working. And he prayed. And what happened? The eternal God listened. And actually acted. It's unbelievable. And I think this is good practice for us. Uh, just to even recognize. It's good to just recall ways that God answers prayer. Both in the scriptures. To remind us. As well as in life. I, I know uh, at least our small group spent the time a couple weeks ago. Just, just sharing. How, how have you seen God answer prayer? I remember doing this in a small group back with the Barretts a long time ago. I don't know if you remember that. But you don't? Well, just say you did for a second. I remember uh, all of us leaving feeling like, man, I feel stirred up to pray right now. Because it actually helps me to see, like, oh, yes, God actually does listen. 
So it's good practice for us to just share with one another, how has God answered prayer in your life? Uh, that would be a great small group exercise, if you think about it, or doing, doing it over coffee with someone. Uh, what, a great book you could read uh, is, is George Miller's autobiography. Uh, that would be a, a really great reader, John Patton, uh, missionary to the New Hebrides. Uh, but jo- George Miller specifically, he just, it's loaded with answers uh, to prayer uh, to God. He's from the uh, early 1800s, mid-1800s. You might know his story. Uh, he started orphanages. He was a pastor, started orphanages, started uh, Bible schools uh, for kids, funded missionaries. Uh, he, he's known for one that didn't like fundraise. He didn't go out and ask money. Um, that's not what I think is so, so significant. I just love his, his passion for why he even did this, why he refused to, to ask people for money and just prayed in all the money. And he, he talks about this throughout the book. He says, you know, I was talking with a lot of people, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, who the, the, he, he talks about these guys who were working 14 hours a week. And meanwhile, they come home, they're t- too tired to care for their family, too, too tired to, to do any spiritual things. And so he would talk to them and like, you can't work that much. And they would say, well, I can't, I can't pull back on work because if I pull back on work, I won't be able to supply for my family. And, and, he's, and so then George is saying, no, 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 I got to prove to my community that God actually means what he says in his word. That, that, that prayer is actually powerful. And I will do this. I will pray for money to come in so I can start orphanages, so I can fund missionaries, so I can pass out Bibles also that people can see, no, we can trust God. God wasn't only active when Peter was alive, and nor for us to say, well, God wasn't only active in England when George Mueller was alive in the early 1800s. What about now? God is active now. And so let us be people who pray. George Mueller, I mean, he's got all sorts of stories in that book about uh, when, when they were hungry. He talks about having all the, all the orphan, uh, orphans lined up at the, at the table for breakfast and there's no food and so they're praying god bring us food because we got no food and then all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and somebody says hey you know i've i forget there was one guy one guy who uh his something happened with his vehicle and all this milk is going to spoil he's like you got do you have use for all this milk he's like ah yeah we do uh one other guy brings bread like do you need any bread could you use this and just like that, they have meal for all, for, all, for all these orphans. It's just story after story after story. Now, the danger with that is that sometimes like, we feel convict, or, like, condemned by this because we don't pray like George Mueller. That's not meant to be the point. That's not what he's trying to prove. He's just trying to demonstrate we can trust God. We can trust God. Um, yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you one story of how we, we've seen uh, prayer answered. This is helped me through the years. Uh, we were on vacation uh, once, this is maybe four years ago or so, uh, down in uh, Missouri, and uh, out of nowhere, Dupree got very sick, just this really high fever, and I don't, it was just, I mean, a matter of minutes, 20 minutes, I don't know, half an hour or something. Um, it wasn't that long, but we said, you know, we got, let's, let's pray over him, because we, we don't have the ability to just go we don't know where the hospital is or any of that. So we just gather around him, lay hands on him, we pray. And literally, I mean, just seconds, he was totally healed. Again, I'm so quick to think, ah, it must have been something he ate. I don't know. Like, why do I do that? Could it be that the prayer 
of a righteous person has great power as it is working? It sure can be. It sure can be. So how do we hear this? Let's close with this. What, what do we do with this? We certainly, we don't hear this promise or this invitation as some blank check for our desires. Oh, cool. Right? I mean, James actually talks about this earlier in the book. He says, hey, uh, you, you want to know why you don't have? Because you don't ask. Uh, and when you do ask, you ask to spend it on your own selfish desires, and God's not going to give that to you. So this isn't some just blank check, oh, we can do whatever we want. No, cool. That's not how we're supposed to hear this. It's also not supposed to be something we downplay, right? Because we're afraid of swinging the pendulum to the other side, right? That's the way I feel at times. It's also not supposed to be just some passage that we just sit around and debate. Like, well, what does he actually mean when he says this? Or, or we should do that. I don't know. I don't want to go to the other side. It's not supposed to be something we hear with just nod in agreement. Yes, I, I believe that. Yes, I do. That's true. Uh, it's not something that we're supposed to uh, feel beat down by. If we feel convicted by the passage, that, that's good. We're not supposed to be condemned by it. I think we're supposed to hear this passage as an invitation from Almighty God saying, you have my ear. I have the resources you need. And it's not that prayer is some fancy thing with certain words, but I ignite those prayers. I'm the one that give them, give them power. You come to me. And it's this great invitation from Almighty God to pray. This morning, uh, then, we also look to the Lord's Supper to remind us that it is the, this very act of Christ that even opens the door for us to come and pray. And so this morning, we uh, will partake of the Lord's Supper as normal. I shall say uh, they have recitals in here, and we need to be extra careful not to drop anything or leave any crumbs laying around that happened uh, last time. And we just want to make sure that doesn't happen. So be sure to get the whole cracker in the mouth. Yeah? <laughs> no, none of this. <laughs> uh, but go ahead, go ahead and come to the center aisle and come through, grab your stuff. Be careful of the uh, wires uh, to step over them and then wrap around the outside and come back and we'll partake together. Brothers and sisters, we are weak people. We have a lot of weaknesses. We have our own failures, our own shortcomings. We do not have the power we need to endure through this life. Yet we've been given this great weapon of prayer to make great requests of God. And let us not look to ourselves to remind ourselves that our prayers will be heard. Our prayers have great power. But we look outside of ourselves to the death of Christ on our behalf that has secured this invitation for us. This promise from James is true, not because of us, but because of Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you, believer. In uh, partaking of the cup, Jesus said that the cup is the new covenant, saying that the new covenant is being inaugurated. And let us drink this morning as a form of request back to God. God, help us to live in light of the new covenant. Help us to live as people who truly believe that prayer has great power. God, help us to live as people who strive for righteousness. God, we need your grace. Help us today, and we will trust 
in the Holy Spirit and your grace to us. From the same way the Lord took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let us stand and pray together. God, we, ca- we confess that we are a, a weak people, and uh, I know some of us, uh, we, we deeply struggle in prayer, and we ask, God, that you'd help us to even just take one step forward, even just leaning in the right direction. God, help us, and help us to, to take you at your word, believe the promise, and to put prayers into action, God. Uh, pretty specifically also for those who are strong in prayer in our midst that you would encourage them and help them to help us uh, grow as a people of prayer. Thank you for this mighty weapon that you've given to us. In Christ's name, amen.